everyone. Welcome to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chong. Hey everyone, I hope y'all are hanging in there. I hope everyone is maintaining social distancing if you can and staying safe and healthy in the mind and body. It took me a bit to start up back again with editing the podcast. I took this time to deep dive back into my unreleased materials that never got around to releasing for one reason or another and then got too embarrassed to release them so late. But I decided better late than never. So for the next few episodes, I'll be going back a bit to some older conversations I had done. Anyway, for today, I am chatting with the wonderful Sonia John, a queer first-generation New York City-based artist, educator, and poet I met last January in Vermont. Sonia received her BFA from the Rhode Island School of Design in 2017, and her contributions to museum education and visual art have been featured at the Risney Museum, The New Yorker, and Hyperallergic. Drawing from flora and fauna native to her parents' homelands of Jamaica, Trinidad and Tobago, and the Philippines, Sonia's work seeks to interrogate theories of color, belonging, contested geographic and biological bodies, and post-colonial effects on landscape and culture. We talk about these topics and so much more in our conversations. As I edited this episode, I really enjoyed listening to Sonia's laughing and her smart, witty commentaries. It made my work much easier, especially since I didn't feel too motivated to edit this week. In any case, I hope you enjoy this episode, and I'll be back in two weeks. Stay safe and healthy in the meantime, and goodbye for now. Did you... What time did you wake up? Um, I got a bit of like... I woke up at 11, but I just didn't get out of bed. I was just kind of like hanging out, listening to science videos and, you know. Are you one of those people that need a lot of time to get up? Yes, yeah. I am. I am definitely one of those people because <laughs> it's, it's just like always, always slow starting. <laughs> it's like warming up an engine in winter. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I like, I'll like stay in bed and I'll just like listen to music or... I'll like or listen to the news or something and I'll just be like scrolling through my like Do you have a preference for what kind of music you listen to when you wake up? Does it shift? Is it Um No, it tends to it tends to vary like based on like sometimes like I'll listen to music that sometimes I'll listen to new music or sometimes I'll listen to like often it's like continuation of what I was listening to the day before. Mm. So like last night I was listening to a cover of Don't Kill My Vibe by Seagrid. Um, it was from like a movie and I was just like, wait, I like this song. I wonder what else this artist does. So then it was just kind of more of that. Yeah. But Do you listen to music falling asleep? No. Oh, okay. I listen to podcasts falling asleep. Oh, okay. Or like <laughs> like like really dry, stuffy like history yeah. documentaries. Because yeah. it's just like, like Yeah. I've like, been I've been reading a lot of like yeah dry philosophy that puts me to sleep. Yeah, it puts you to sleep. Yeah. 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 Like I listen to um there are all these like really random BBC documentaries. 
like about architecture or whatever oh like on youtube and i'm just kind of like okay i find architecture so boring like i like experiencing mm, it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but like it's hard to find a good documentary about yeah. architecture because yeah. a lot of it is just very like hmm, like it's it's like unnecessarily grandiose but yeah. about all the wrong things yeah i find like the only good architecture documentaries i've i've like seen were like in art history, like when I was in an art history class, yeah. and like they had access to like canopy and stuff, and they found some really interesting ones. Yeah, yeah. And I was just kind of like, yeah, Gothic revival architects were like really crazy. They were just putting <laughs> random shit in their houses. Yeah. And just to clarify, is my pronouncing your name right? Is it Sonia or Sonia? Sonia. Sonia. Okay, that's what I thought. But then some people were like A talking lot- about it, and I was like, am I mispronouncing it? No, I don't correct people with the. Long O, short O thing oh. because a lot of people can't hear the difference. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like really stupid. Like as long as the J isn't pronounced like a J, yeah. it's pronounced like a Y. Like then, then I'm okay. But like most people just are dumb and they can't hear the difference. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Um. Right now I am interviewing or chatting with Sonia John, and we are in Johnson, Vermont. It's really rainy right now. All the snow's melting and the river is moving very fast. Um, and last night we did some karaoke. It was a long night, sort of, for some of us. And um, yeah, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I always enjoy like a good night of like singing. Yeah. It's nice to take it out of the studio. Yeah. Grant was telling me last night, like my... Studio across from mine, Grant is always like, it's so uncomfortably silent, so I appreciate it when you're singing. Oh. (laughs) And I was like, okay, good. (laughs) All those white Beckys are complaining. Yeah. It's like someone will clear their throat, and I'm just like, y'all keep clearing (laughs) your throat. It's fine. Like, it's fine. Like, I don't, this, it's like the, I'm not used to working in a totally silent space. It's kind of weird. Like, I get it if it's a library, because library, but a studio? Yeah. Like, nah. But also you paint. I do paint. So like I have, I work in the silent studio because I'm just always on my computer. Right. And I can't, I re, I, I, I can't really multitask very well. And I can't, especially like most, mostly what I'm doing in front of my computer is like writing emails, less writing in general and ed- video editing. And none of those activities I can really listen to yeah. music. You have to like edit to, sound. So you just, yeah. cannot, you have to be silent. Yeah. And I, and so, yeah, so I don't have a lot of music constantly going around. Yeah. Just, but I don't mind if people, but like when I painted, I listened to a lot of music because yeah. it was like easy to sort of zone out. And yeah. I feel like I can always, I could always listen to music while painting. Mm-hmm. That was something I could multitask in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there are even my dad, like he, he has these like random classical albums from and jazz albums from college that is just titled music for painting because yeah. he took art classes uh-huh. when he was yeah. in college. And I was just kind of like, all right, I see you. That's yeah. interesting. But I don't know. I always find painting is such a, at least the way that I like to paint, it's really physical yeah. and occasionally performative. So it's just like, it's good to have something in the background when you're doing that. It's good to have like a tempo that can t- that propels you yeah. forward. Yeah. So, I mean, like in my studio right now, I've been working on these gigantic, gigantic paintings on Mylar. So a lot of the time in there, I'm like 
getting up on chairs and getting down from chairs and like flipping things over and like moving it around and yeah. dragging it across the floor and like pouring paint and spilling things. And so it's just kind of, it's very, well, as I mean, I don't know about, I don't know if painting is athletic necessarily, but it feels athletic sometimes. It can be. It can be. Yeah. Yes. Matthew Barney, he'll say yes. Matthew Barney. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, there's, there's a performance. I, one thing I do regret is that I didn't like, think to record myself while I was doing this. Is that important you think or you're not sure? Um, I don't know. It just I think Jova mentioned it offhand once and I was like, wow, that would have been a great idea. Mm. Because it's been um it's been really interest like it's been fun and also like I've been able to like use my entire body yeah. working on these things in ways that I can't do in my home studio. Yeah. And I was reminded as to like why I love working large and why I love painting yeah. because it demands the it demands the entire focus yeah. of the body and like yeah and it affects you it, it it changes the way you paint I think um there's this there's this, uh, a painter I really like Chris Martin not the singer who married to <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow <laughs> and not that Chris Martin but another Chris Martin uh, um he he's been around for a while um and I think around 2008 he started like having creating these huge paintings and like before they were sort of like very small and like he was, yeah, it, it was a lot smaller, but then like in around 2007, 2008, he had a show and it was sort of like a breakthrough because he was suddenly painting large and there's sort of a freedom to it. Like mm. the style would change a lot, but like one painting, he, it looked like there's just a bunch of paint on and he just took a broom and just like, yeah, like kind of made like one gesture, pulling all this paint across with just one broomstick, gesture or pull and so a lot of the paintings were like that and a professor asked the galleries like what happened like what caused a shift and the galleries like well he had a studio in New York City that was like apparently like five feet wide by ten feet long and so he was literally working like up against a painting and then he eventually moved out to somewhere you know Hudson Valley got like a huge barn yeah and then the painting changed because like he wasn't like working like two three feet away from the painting yeah you know? Yeah. It's important to have that amount of space. Like, I, I feel like being here, this is my first residency and being here, it, I keep thinking back to my first year at RISD, my specifically my uh, first semester of foundation year. And I had this drawing professor who, uh, Daniel Lefcourt, he basically like on the first day of class, he sent us out essentially dumpster diving and yeah. we had to find like eight objects yeah. to use as tools to, to draw with. Yeah, yeah. And he lined the entire studio floor with plastic sheeting. He got up on the model stand, which I didn't know was a model stand at the time. We did not use models at all that first semester. You mean like that box? That or? box. Okay. I had no idea it was a model stand okay. until second semester. I was yeah. like, what the fuck is this thing? It's yeah. a platform. <laughs> and he just stood there and dictated. He said, um, find he's like you're not making art you're destroying your paper like you find as many ways to destroy your paper as possible how'd you destroy your paper um smashing scraping mm-hmm. hitting yeah. grinding pulling tearing yeah there was one point where he said it's too silent in here i need to be hearing more you guys are being too careful and i just was like it really broke me out of like yeah. this you know when you're in high school and you're like making tiny little illustrations like i loved making like fan art yeah. <laughs> like 
hyper-realistic, photorealistic. I like that assignment. I have to teach an experimental drawing this coming semester. Yeah. So he, he based it a lot around, was it Richard Serra who had that list of verbs? Maybe, yeah. Yeah. It was very much like a tour de force through what is drawing. Mm-hmm. So we went through like phases of art history and I didn't even know it yeah. at the time. Like yeah. we were going through like abex, minimalism. Yeah. Uh, conceptual art, performance art, yeah. like just tour de force. And we, I didn't even realize it because sometimes the, the examples he'd give us were like very classical paintings. Like yeah, he showed yeah. us like um, Whistler's mother and like a Manet painting that just uses many, many gradients of black. He's, yeah. He zoomed in to like a tiny little portion of it and was like, observe the motion within this space. Mm. And I just was like, holy shit. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I still do. There are certain assignments that I'm that have very much informed my practice. Yeah. One of them was the first assignment was a single mark systematically repeated. And then what did you have to do? Just that uh, the painting was just one mark that had to be repeated. Repeated. Yeah. So and he, he said you could treat the paper however you need to before you make that movement. But so you can make one mark or you can make like thousands of marks. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, but it's like it has to be a single motion. Mm. So I was really basically just took a tennis ball and covered it in ink and just threw it at the paper. <laughs> and like I covered an entire wall with paper and I just hurled it at yeah, that. Yeah. But, you know, seeing the many variations of it, like one girl like shot a video where she painted her nails. Okay. And I thought that was awesome. Um, you know, there were, you know, there were elements of like scraping, grinding, painting, yeah, yeah. like smashing, destroying, yeah. pouring. Uh, then there was another assignment that was stencils, but... It, like using the stencil as a drawing tool, but not in a graphic way. Yeah. So like, how do you understand, how do you get space, depth, texture yeah. through a stencil? And yeah. those two, I am I mean, I use stencils a lot. You in still my work. do. Yeah. I like cut these crazy, crazy stencils that all reference tropical plants, particularly from the Caribbean and, or uh, plants that reflect diasporic movement. Yeah. Like, you know, my family is from the Caribbean and from the Philippines and a lot of the narrative of like coming to America is just like this idea of diaspora, of transplant. Yeah. Um, let's, yeah, let's talk more about, I guess, your background in terms of where your family comes from and uh, where you grew up and mm-hmm. how you got into the arts. Yeah. But if you want to talk more about like, yeah, the diaspora of your family from Jamaica. In the Philippines to Philippines the Philippines and, and, and Trinidad and Tobago, right? Yeah. So um, I am, I, I'm a queer black artist. I'm a first generation immigrant. I was born here in the United States, but my family were not. So most of my family is scattered throughout the globe. And I have some in the United States. Uh, my father was born in Trinidad and grew up in Jamaica. Mm. And my my mom was born in the Philippines. And they both came over to the United States. My dad is a teenager and my mom. My dad is a you know, teenager, preteen, and my mom as an adult. And uh, they settled in, in and around like New York because, you know, where do you go? Yeah, Ellis Island. <laughs> or if not Ellis Island, like, where do you go? Like when you come to America, like yeah. Queens, yeah, it's literally that movie coming to America. Yeah. Just, you know, less. The Eddie Murphy one. Yeah. The yeah. Eddie Murphy one. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, yeah, I get you. I see what you're doing. I do think I need to rewatch that. I haven't, I saw that like as a five year old oh, and I feel, I feel like whatever commentaries in that was just went over my head at it's that age. So, it's so funny. Yeah. It's such a good movie. Yeah. I love that movie. It's like, I need to go to find a queen. Where do I go? Queens. <sighs> But that that so reflects like 
the movement of immigrants to the United States, particularly if you're coming through New York. Like, yeah. where do you go? You go to Queens or you go to the Bronx. I learned something new, though. Now the word that people know is Portland. Really? I didn't know this because I did, I did my talk in Maine and I learned that Portland, for some reason, it is an asylum city. But not only that, but the tax money goes to uh, finding shelter and food for for wow. for, for uh, anyone seeking asylum. So I, I was told that like one of the English words that most immigrants and migrants and people seeking asylum is the word they know is Portland. Right now? Right now. Wow. And and sometimes people get stuck in Portland, Oregon, which sucks. Yeah, but, but yeah, it's Portland, Maine. And I was trying to figure that out because I think I think why that happens because I was told that the demographic of Portland, Maine is like basically like million dollar homes from New Yorkers buying summer homes mm-hmm. or retirement homes, and then these migrants. And I was like, why why do these people vote to pass these laws? I I, I was trying to figure it out. It was interesting, but that would that's that would be such an interesting deep dive because it's like so white there. Yeah, and why they why you know because they're in power, the people p- buying these homes. So why yeah. do they vote for that? I don't know, but it was interesting. Well, it's good to know that there's some white altruism out there. Yeah. Well, I grew up in New York. Yeah. Uh, I was born. I was born and raised there. So, like, my family, my dad was. My dad grew up in the Bronx. Uh, my my grandmother's still there. So um, now I live in Westchester, Lower Westchester, and I work in the Bronx. I work as I'm like a freelance museum educator. I also work in a gallery. Which museums are you? Freelancing usually. I've worked um, with summer programs done by the Queens Council of the Arts. Okay, yeah. I've worked with Q Art Foundation. I've worked with the RISD Museum uh, when I was. Uh, I graduated from RISD in 2017. Okay. And then I did an internship with the RISD Museum in their education department. Nice. And that was just that was such a great experience. Yeah. I love that museum. Are you go? I assume you're good with kids. Um. No, <laughs> I, I mean, I guess like people tell, like, I guess I am because I do work with them. Like, I, I like working with teenagers a lot, but like I always have like I'm always skeptical about my my whether or not I'm good with kids. But I mean, I've had bosses, you know, supervisors say, yeah, you actually are, even if you feel kind of like hesitant about them. Yeah. Well, I think because you have you, you, you at least you're someone who seems to tap into your inner childhood. and <laughs> And kids, kids, kids uh, sense that, you know, they, they have very intuitive, like that's all they have at, the, yeah. at their age is just intuition. I just, I am a giant nerd and I just like sharing that. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, you have to meet people with enthusiasm, Yeah. you know, and I, and I feel like kids haven't lost that, mm-hmm. you know, I don't necessarily like taking care of children. Mm-hmm. I have so, I have five younger siblings and that's like, a lot of work. yeah. And babysitting them was always just the bane of my existence. And yeah. I just, at a certain point was like, nope, I'm not doing this anymore. Like literally hire a neighbor. I'm not doing yeah. this, <laughs> but, um, I love teaching them Yeah, because they just soak up information like a sponge. And yeah. It's just such a fun experience. Like trivia, children love, kids love trivia. Yeah. I was, oh, I was yeah. that kid. I was yeah. just like, like, Baby tiger sharks eat their siblings in the womb. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weird shit. Like, yeah. So, um, yeah, I I love museum education because you can do things outside of like, like the school the school setting is like so constrained. Yeah. I remember I worked within a public school system like in Providence for a little while, and I just felt like I was going to die. Yeah. Like I just had all the life was just sucked out yeah. of me. I had very little freedom to do what I wanted to do. There were no resources. And also like just working with like school administrators was just such a pain in the ass. Like just yeah. God, not, not fun. 
But within a museum setting, there's a sort of like you can teach from objects, yeah, which I love. Like one and of also my, also like museums aren't beholden to like te- taking tests at the end. Exactly. So there's a certain freedom to how the person wants yeah. wants to teach or wants to divvy up information, right? Yeah, you're creating an experience yeah. for somebody as opposed to like we have to hit these core ideas, yeah, these benchmarks. Yeah, and yeah. I mean we do hit those benchmarks. We're just not forced to hit to get yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, which is ideal. Yeah. So yeah, so your dad, what you mentioned, your dad's a musician. No, my dad is actually a surgeon. Oh, okay. But, um, you know, coming to New York and nobody in my family necessarily had any like artistic talent. At least they didn't know it until my, until they came to the U.S. And my dad started reading comic books. I like, you know, just grew up reading Marvel, DC, all of those. And he started drawing those comic books and he was actually really good at it. Like, mm-hmm. and it seemed to have come out of nowhere. So yeah. I always credit my dad with like my ability to draw because like I got it from him. He taught me a lot and he, I grew up like he, he used to live like in the upper East side near the Islamic cultural center in New mm-hmm. York city. And we'd go to the Met all the time. Like he'd take me and I would immediately demand that we had to go through ancient Egypt yeah. and then Greece yeah. and then Rome and then, and then the paintings. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, from an early age, I was really exposed to that. But that was only because, like, when he came to the United States, like, he started reading comic books and started drawing. And then he started taking art classes and going to museums. And he met, like, wonderful, like, artists, musicians. I mean... And educators. And educators. Yeah. And he... I mean, he didn't... He went to, like, one of the worst high schools in the Bronx. Like, it doesn't even exist anymore. Hmm. But he went to Princeton and he met Akra, he met Akra Shep there. Yeah, who I interviewed, uh, I don't know, a year ago. Yeah. So yeah. Akra is like just really cool. And like he like, I remember I'm, I met Renee Cox when I was like really young. I was five, six. I was young. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't know she was like some famous artist as a child because I grew up and I was like, oh, I'm going to play with uh, Renee's kids and we're going to take some weird photographs yeah, now. Yeah. I have to wear all black for this. Cool. Yeah. Um, I have a photograph by her like in my bedroom. My dad is holding me upside down. It's just like a crazy. It's you can only see our faces in our hands. Yeah. It's like it's really cool. Uh, we, we would do these family portraits. And then when I went to college, like when I went to RISD and they did a lecture on Renee Cox, I was like, wait, I know her. And they were like, yeah, we're doing a lecture on her right now. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, 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 I, no, I, like, I know yeah. her. <laughs> and it was such a random thing. Cause I was yeah. just like, I, you know, you're a kid. You don't realize that yeah. these things are cool. Yeah. You just have these experiences, but I'm really lucky that my dad, like his parents, his parents didn't have like a, much more than a high school education. They didn't mm. go to college, but I was really lucky that my dad is just like a super open-minded person who loves art, loves music, yeah. loves like experiencing culture. And and he was supportive of you pursuing and, an yeah, art. Yeah, he was, he's like, honestly, one of my greatest supporters. Oh, that's awesome. Just gen- like, he'll come to the, he'll come into the basement and be like, what are you, he won't like t- ask me what I'm working on. Like he usually comes in when I'm at work or like when I'm out or whatever and he'll see what I'm doing. He's like, okay, just quietly like, yeah. sometimes I'll ask what, him what he thinks. He's like, I'm just going to let you do what you're doing. Like, I'm not going to say anything. And I'm like, that's really annoying. I think, I think okay. that picture you just painted is something that I would like to experience if I had a kid. Yeah. Just watch them work on art. That thought never occurred to occurred me. Occurred to you? Yeah. yeah. He would just, like, I remember being a kid and, like, playing around with watercolors and just being like, I don't know what I'm doing. He's like, don't worry, just, 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 just go to work. Just yeah. work. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but. And what about your mom? My, my mom is a nurse. It's, it's not to be stereotyping, but that's what all the Filipinos. I know, I know all the Filipino nurses are. 
Yeah. Like, yeah. it's Because it pays true. well. I mean, it right? It pays well, yeah. and they're, they're really good at it. Yeah. Like, Filipino nurses are like, they, the Philippines produces some of the crazy best nurses out yeah. there. Mm-hmm. And, like, my family is kind of a stereotype. Like, almost all the women on my mother's side of the family are nurses. Yeah. Like, my aunt's a nurse. Yeah. My grandmother was a nurse. Yeah. Like, my uncle's a nurse. Uh, it's 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 kind of crazy. There's almost this gender binary where like, if you're a guy, you go to the military. If you're a girl, you go to you're a nurse. Yeah. Or some combination thereof. Yeah. And like, it's literally that. Like, my uncle is also like in the military, and I'm just like, God damn it. <laughs> um, part of my life, I actually grew up in Virginia, living. Really? There. Yeah, because my my Richmond. No, no, no. In in the Virginia Beach area. Oh, 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 okay. There's a there's a big like Filipino population oh. in the Virginia Beach area. Okay. Um, so I spent some of my life like growing up there okay. and it was a very, unlike my dad, my mom is sort of not closed minded necessarily, but a, a little bit more conservative, I suppose, mm-hmm. in her views, like a little bit parochial, a little bit like, it's a little different. Like yeah. she's not like repressive or anything, but it's just, she doesn't necessarily come with like, this understanding, this openness uh, of experiencing these sorts of things. Like he's, she's a really adventurous. Like she, like, learned to scuba dive and would really go, and would go diving with my dad. That's like they amazing. Would, they would go diving, but not That's... necessarily in a cultural way. But um, it, it was a little bit different with her. Like trying to, like trying to convince her that I was like good enough to go to RISD was a bit of a. Was there was there a sort of a fight between? There was there was a lot of tension there. Yeah, yeah. yeah she was like, "Are you sure you're going to do this?" And I just was like, "Look, I can do this." <laughs> um, my dad was just like, "Just go do the thing. You're good at it. Go do the thing. Um, just make sure you like are productive and like try to make a living out of it." And I was like, "Okay, fine." Um, yeah. Whereas my mom was more like, mm. "Is she so worried?" Uh, I mean, my parents are still worried, so it's not like... <laughs> I mean, I don't know if she's necessarily still worried, yeah. but it it's just, I don't know. It's not something she necessarily understands. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I think a few years ago, my dad's like, oh, okay, so now what's the next step? Do you, how, what can you do to, like, yeah. get to the next level? Or how do you improve your pay? And I'm like, uh, those things don't really work like that. Here. Yeah. Or if they do that, they're like at an upper level, which I haven't reached. At, right? Exactly. Yeah. My stepmom is like that. Um, she, my stepmom is also from v- Jamaica. She grew up in Jamaica, like went to college in Canada, did law school here. She's also very, very supportive of my career, but she's, she has that sort of thinking of like, okay, how do you level up? Yeah. Like, well, it's not really a straightforward video game yeah. out here. Yeah. It's sort of meandering. Yeah. But she's very much in my dad's camp of like, okay, go get the culture, <laughs> go yeah, do yeah. the thing. Yeah, uh, it's been harder to explain to my mom. Like, I remember going to the Philippines and like meeting up with family, and they were like, "Yeah, so uh, how does it pay being an like?" Literally, the first thing my my uncle asked me like, "How does it pay?" And I was like, "Oh God, like, what an uncouth question." <laughs> have you been to the Philippines a lot? Uh, not as often as I have been. To Jamaica, like it's closer. It's closer. It's easier to get to. It's it's cheaper to get there. Yeah. I also feel closer to my relatives from Jamaica than my relatives from the Philippines. But I mean, I I have gone there a couple of times. I was there when I was a baby. Yeah. And then I went as a as an eleven year old, and then I went again when I turned twenty. Okay. Yeah. So not as often. I would like to go. It's it's beautiful. Yeah. I want to get that. 
I, I heard it's not happening anymore, but I, I wanted to get that tattoo from the oldest. Talinga? Tat- yeah. But I heard she's not doing it anymore. Or like her daughter's doing it now. I'm well, sure. if her daughter's doing it, still go. Because it's a dying art form. I want one of those tattoos yeah. before I die. Yeah. I mean, I've always wanted one of those things. Like, I love, I'm like trying to connect to my culture in like different ways. Yeah. In some ways, Filipino culture is a little bit more inaccessible to me because there's a language barrier. Yeah, Tagalog. Tagalog. Um, there are like some, there's like 17, mm-hmm. at least 17 different separate languages yeah, yeah. spoken throughout the archipelago. Yeah. Like they're not dialects. All they're, those islands, like Indonesia, Malaysia, they all have that. Yeah, there are co- commonalities, but like where my family is from is the Bicol region. Mm-hmm. So they speak Bicol. So okay. there are certain words that I know in Bicol, but I don't know in Tagalog. Mm. And there are certain words that I know in Tagalog, but don't know in Bicol. Mm. Um, most of them have to do with food because yeah. what's the best way to access I, it? Yeah. I, uh, all the places I've been to, I don't think I really remember is the food words. The, yeah. The food, the food words. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, we love to eat like yeah. food, 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 food. Yeah. But um, yeah, so it's, but going, my family goes back to Jamaica like two, three times, like at least two times a year okay. usually. And we've been doing that since I was like five, like for as long as I can remember, we've been doing that, mm. you know, to see family. Uh, I learned to dive and I've gone diving around in Jamaica. I've been diving for like 11 years now, almost 12. And my experience of it is like, it, I think there are elements of the tourist experience because, you know, we will stay at hotels occasionally, but it's also different from the tourist experience because like I'm visiting family or my dad will just rent a car and we'll drive yeah. a- across the country. And it's yeah. a small country, but yeah. it's a really intensely beautiful one Yeah, through the mountains, like through the interior of Jamaica. Yeah. And I love the beach. I love to swim, but like something I reference a lot in my work is just that interior. Mm. Cause my, my father grew up in this place called Brandon Hill mm-hmm. smack in the middle of Jamaica. Mm. This place called Clarendon. It's just red dirt, rolling hills. It's kind of like Vermont, except like tropical. Yeah. So it's mountainous. Rural, rural, rural semi-hilly mountainous. mountainous. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's intensely beautiful in a way that I don't think people necessarily like see from the tourist ads. You know, there yeah. are no white beaches. There are rivers. Hmm. Deep, cold rivers, wide rivers, woods, jungle, uh, agriculture. I mean, yeah. my dad grew up on a farm, essentially. And the dirt there is red. It's like this really? amazing red ochre color. It's incredible. And it's it's just like hilly and lush and quiet. Yeah. But there's there's a like there's a specificity to all of the ecology there that can vary like widely and minutely, even like from one hill to the next right. or from like one county to the next. Yeah. And I love experiencing that through the food. Like say whenever we're in Jamaica, I always try to get honey from like just whoever's selling it on the street. Yeah. Because You'll go to one town and the honey tastes different. Right, because of all the different fauna. Uh, and the flora, yeah. yeah. Like the honey I like from where my dad grew up is like, it's almost, it's very dark in yeah. color. It's super slow moving, super dark. It tastes almost like chocolate. Wow. Because there's cocoa, uh, like wow. trees growing yeah, around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oranges, which grow year, year round. You know, when I started making work the way that I do now in undergrad, it was almost as, it was almost as a way to like, explain my understanding of this place Mm. like the oranges aren't orange they're green Mm. the grapefruits aren't bitter the coffee isn't bitter the fruits star fruit and star apple are two very different things 
I don't know what star apple is. Star apple is it, it comes in two forms. It's there's a it's a round fruit. We get it around like Easter time. Hmm. And there's a green and there's a purple. I like the purple ones because uh-huh. the color is really nice. And it when you cut it in the middle, the seeds form a star, hence uh, star fruit. Okay. And the flesh is white and kind of, um, kind of slimy, but not in a bad way. Yeah, <laughs> like it's very, it's very tender the flesh. Yeah, and it has like a mild sweetness that becomes slightly tart towards mm. the end. And uh, I just, I just love eating it. It's so nice. My new favorite fruit. I mean, my my favorite fruit of all time is. It was mangoes. Oh, but yeah. my new favorite fruit when I was visiting Indonesia was this fruit called rambutans. 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 They're so good. They're so cute. I know. And they're like... They're, they're, they're adorable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When I went to the Philippines, I ate a lot of those. Yeah. Like lots of those. The Indonesians told me the tr- literal translation of that word is like hairy forest. Yeah. Which I thought was like really cute. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're really boring with our naming. Like there's this fruit that I love called June plum and... June plum. When you say uh, we're boring, like who? Jamaica? Jamaicans. Okay, like, okay. I feel like, like, I feel like, I mean, also just we as people yeah. are very boring with our naming conventions because they're like, oh, it's that thing. Like, f- for the example, June plum. Yeah. You get it in June. Like, it, it doesn't, it's not at all like a plum. Yeah. <laughs> at all but it's like it's a round fruit and like it's it's got a really spiky core it's a little bit painful to eat if you bite in too deep you can't bite in you have to kind of suck at it but it's this amazing like imagine a mango and a pineapple wow but like really tart that sounds like maybe really intense it's really good yeah. i love it it's one of my favorite things uh it's great for juice it's great with ginger nice you get that like spicy tingling mm. thing uh and i started making like when i was in college like I think I was a junior and I was just like I was like I just want to make work about myself but I don't want to use my body like what do I care about what are the things that my family cares about yeah and you know one thing that family always talk about when they move to the United States are the foods and fruits and vegetables they just can't get yeah when they come to the States Mm -hmm. so I was like I started thinking about that I was like okay ginnips star fruit star apple uh june plum ackee fresh ackee because canned ackee tastes terrible um (laughs) It really does. No, we had yeah, we had that whole discussion with Jova, and Jova's like, "It's not that bad." No, and no, you were like, terrible. "You're like, it's, it's terrible. terrible." I haven't, I haven't had it, so I, I can't. Just, just I can't go, weigh in. But yeah. just go to Jamaica and get it fresh. It's much better fresh. Because <laughs> okay. um, you can't ripe, you can't pre-ripen it, and it's yeah, yeah, poisonous. Yeah. If you don't, it will kill you. Yeah, and I, I love that sort of, like, I hate the word exotic, but like that sort of deadly duality yeah. of these things. Like these things taste delicious. They could also kill you. Yeah, like. There's this fruit, sweet sop. Okay. Um, I think in other parts of the world they call it cherimoya hmm. or sugar apple. Okay. It's sort of this lumpy green. It comes out in like these segments. The flesh is white, but you have to be very careful when you handle it because, well, at least when you cook with, I've never cooked with it, but the seeds are toxic. They will kill you. Oh. And the seeds in the skin, but the flesh is delicious. How do you eat it? You peel it off? You or? just like. It, it it kind of is like a it's shaped like a imagine a pine cone but like fleshy is it green it's green and then you peel it and, and you you just segment it and then you eat it i wonder if i had that in vietnam you might have had it but no one told the person didn't tell me that the seeds were killed well you're not going to eat the seeds <laughs> yeah yeah you yeah. suck the flesh off the seeds and you discard the yeah, seeds. yeah 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 it's a lot of seeds it's right a lot of seeds you like you put it in your mouth and then you're basically spitting, spitting out, out seeds, seeds the as you're time. eating it yeah yeah, yeah yeah i think i had it yeah you probably had it yeah yeah it's one of those fruits that I also think has one of those like own narratives of migration. Like there are all yeah. these fruits that have narratives yeah. like jackfruit mm-hmm. like came over and breadfruit came over from Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, like 
trying to explain breadfruit to white people. What is breadfruit? It's it grows on a tree and it tastes like bread. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Like it's like yeah, it, it's a it's a breadfruit. Yeah. Um, my my aunt May has a big breadfruit tree in her yard, and like we're always like getting stuff from there. Sometimes she'll send us some, like she'll smuggle it through customs, and I'm like, yes, you roast it. I like it like roasted and fried hmm. with salt. It's like chips. It's like pita chips, but better. Um, I haven't had it before yet. Oh, it's good. It's good. But it's also one of those fruits that like came from Southeast Asia and like traveled yeah. by various means over to the Caribbean so that we have all of these things in common through through migration, like this sort of fiction of yeah. what is native. And so how did you, yeah, so you, so in your junior year in RISD, you were thinking like, how do I talk about yourself without using your body? And yeah. then so you, you ultimately landed on these fruits and fauna. Yeah. And so what, what was it, you remember the first project you did where you, it was sort of working? Um. I think the first project I did when it was when it was really working for me was I made this collage of Aki. Okay. And it was some of it was like found collage, but a lot of it was a lot of the elements of the collage were elements I had made myself. Like mm-hmm. I had done a brief workshop on paper marbling and I was very interested in those forms. And those forms made me think about the sort of uh, sinuous shapes that Aki creates. Mm. It, the fruit itself when it's ripe, it splits open at the base and there are these three seeds that look like eyes. It's a little bit sinister looking, but also like in the way that, you know, in the way that nature signals that, oh, this thing is deadly. Mm. Yeah, but it tastes great. And it's because it's this bright red orange color. The flesh is yellow and then the seeds are black and they're huge. And I kept thinking about that form and how, to me, this is a very natural native thing that I'm accustomed to seeing, accustomed to using, accustomed to eating. It's a commonplace thing. But to people in the United States, even to people outside of Jamaica, it's this foreign abstract looking object. And there's a sort of abstraction that comes with the knowing and the not knowing with with familiarity and unfamiliarity. And I made this collage and I think that's like... I. I think my professor at the time was like, I don't think I've ever seen collage used in this sort of way before with all like, that wasn't just found collage. It was just like a lot of like made objects with elements of painting, Mm. with elements of like elaborate cutting and referencing nature, but in a way that felt extremely abstract. Were you putting the Aki on the, as part of the collage, like the physical fruit? No, I can't, you can't get that here in the U.S., but I, I had drawn okay. lots of different shapes and cut into it and tried to make it, you know, some elements lifelike, some elements. Yeah. But, like, I tried to be true to the shape. But by being incredibly accurate to the shape, because it's unfamiliar to a Western or mm-hmm. to an American audience, like, or to an audience that is Jamaican, it is a, a sort of alien thing. Mm. It is, you know, well, strange fruit, just not. And what, 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 is, what was the reception of that? I think it was really interesting. Like, the, I got a really good reception in terms of like the color and the abstraction of it. Yeah. And the reception of it was very, I don't know what I'm seeing, but yeah. I like it. Yeah. And I was like, that's the kind of, yeah. that's the kind of confusion I want from a white audience. Yeah. I was like, I don't want you to know what you're looking at, but I want you to feel seduced by it. Yeah. Like, I want to force this feeling of unfamiliarity, this yeah. feeling that I can't access it, yeah. this feeling that this object isn't mine. I can't read it. Yeah. I can't find it legible. I can't control it because I understand it. Yeah. Like so much of the narrative of colonization is like 
this semblance of understanding, this taxonomy yeah. of flora and fauna and people. And by like that process of naming, that process of taxonomy, that it becomes a process of interpretation and control. And by forcing a white audience like into a state of perpetual confusion <laughs> as to what they were looking at, I was like, that's what I want. I want to overwhelm you and I want to overwhelm your senses but I don't want you to understand what it is you're, what, I think what it is you're looking at. It's amazing you came with that conclusion at that age because I totally wasn't even thinking how to like do that at you know in undergrads. I think even well, up until like yeah maybe even like until my third year of grad school I wasn't mm. really like I didn't have that thought of like trying to force a white audience into an act uh, a space of confusion. Well, it it didn't come so quickly. But it was very much, I was working from a place of frustration. Yeah. Like really intense frustration. I mean, the year I had started doing these, I started upon these collages. I, it was the year that Mike Brown was murdered mm -hmm. and I was just experiencing a lot of pushback at RISD. I mean, honestly. About what? Let's just say it's like all lives matter sort of shit. Yeah. Let's just say it's easier to be queer than it is to be black at mm. RISD. In my class of, in my graduating class of 400 students, seven of us were black. Mm. Okay. <laughs> 400. And I just was like this, I was so frustrated. Yeah. I was angry yeah. all the time. And I had made a series of monotypes that, you know, collaged like the burgeoning Black Lives Matter, like mm. protests, images of Ferguson, yeah. as well as images from like the civil rights struggles in the sixties, Yeah, uh, like sort of to collapse time and say like, all of these things are still happening at all the time. Like all the time. It's not a single time is not a singular linear event that right. begins and ends. Right. The struggle is continuous. It's cyclical and yeah. constant and, yeah. and constant. And when I had made those, those collages, like the black students obviously were like, this is exactly what we need right now. But like the, the whites, the non-black students were just like, well, isn't it? I literally had this in a critique. This white kid was like, this white boy was like, well, isn't it a stereotype that you're a black woman making art about like violence against black people? <laughs> and I was so angry. I wanted yeah. to cry. Oh, and I God. just, I couldn't say anything in that crit <sighs> critique because just the, the, the lack of understanding was just yeah. so. And after I'd made that series, it was cathartic. I needed to make it yeah. because I just, I was processing this just, it seemed like murder after murder after mm -hmm. murder after murder. But after I made that series, I just had this thought like, I don't want to depict the body, the black body, like in pain. I don't mm. want like that. Making that series was like psychologically taxing. Yeah. And it's a series. It was like a series of nearly 40 monotypes. And I did all of them in like basically within the space of a week. Yeah. I think I did then. I, I think I made all of them within the space of three days because I just was, I couldn't sleep. That was the only mm. thing I could do. But after that, I thought, I need to make stuff that speaks to me and is about me yeah. in a way that is other than violence, yeah. you know, in a way that doesn't feel like, you know, trauma porn for yeah. white people. Yeah. You know, I want to make stuff that is biographical, but that doesn't, that doesn't allow people access to my body. Yeah. Because even though I wasn't necessarily doing self-portraiture, it felt like self-portraiture because there were human beings, like yeah. black people, like in those, in those in those images and I didn't like, it was a sort of like way of hiding. I was just like, I don't want you to look at me. Yeah. I want you to look at the things that I care about. Mm. And I also 
don't want you to pretend that you have an understanding of me. Yeah. So these collages were sort of my way of saying, first of all, fuck you. Second of all, fuck you. Thirdly. (laughs) (laughs) Thirdly. away from me. Yeah. Thirdly, step away. You don't know me. Yeah. Like, let me celebrate this. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember Jennifer Packer was my professor my second semester of my senior year. And that was incredible. She said something about how she didn't want, she wanted her paintings to sort of resist the viewer. Mm -hmm. Like you can't step into them. You know, there's a sort of like, there's a, there's, it's almost as if the figures in her paintings form a blockade Mm. um, because there are elements that are visible, but not legible. Right. And I didn't encounter her work until much later, but that was sort of my way of doing it. It's like, Here's an object that is visible but not legible. Yeah. And at the same time, were you also putting the fauna that you were finding in the Philippines that like you you had you showed me that one like blue flower? Yeah, so the turquoise jade vine I didn't come across until later. I well actually no. Lies. Lies, lies, lies. Um this I feel like this sort of transformation slowly began happening in sophomore year because before that I was in painting and I was making like landscape studies of providence yeah, yeah it was very gray or painting models or painting figures, models yeah you know foundation 101 foundation 101 yeah. like all my paintings were like gray and brown yeah. and black <laughs> i was making a lot of night paintings like it was so monochrome yeah i just was like i didn't understand color yeah and then i went to trinidad to visit my um my namesake i'm named after my godmother she is also an artist she's a dancer and choreographer her name is sonia dumas oh wow uh she also makes films she's a really incredible woman She's, she's so fierce. I aspire to be as cool as she is in my fifties. <laughs> like she's so cool. Yeah. Um, I went to visit her in Trinidad and it was almost as if I was seeing color for the first time <laughs> when I had gone, even though I had grew up, grown up seeing these, seeing color my entire life. Yeah, yeah. I'd gone down there and she had taken me to this nature center called Asa Wright nature center, Okay. which is very well known for its birds. Okay. Trinidad has some of the greatest ecological diversity of bird species, like compared to, for its size compared mm-hmm. to other like countries of similar sizes. Like it has an absurd number of bird species. And I encountered the, like when you go to Asa Wright and there's, it's, there's this house and there's a veranda, this mm. huge porch in the back. And before you're, before you even go into the back porch, as soon as you walk through the front gate, you just hear sound of birds. Mm. And then when, by the time you finally get to the back, back veranda, yeah. It is almost as if you have encountered a wall of sound. And then immediately after you get over the like overwhelming sound, you suddenly see just movement and it's just birds flittering everywhere because they leave fruit and sugar water and just stuff out for the birds. Do the birds have access to the outside or they're stuck in this? No, they're outside. Okay. okay. They're, they're not trapped at all. Like, you're sitting on the veranda. Okay. They're outside, but they're like, you're like in the bird space. Yeah, yeah. The thing about, uh, something I love about tropical and Caribbean architecture is this concept of fluidity between the inside and the mm. outside. When I was, I remember being five years old and going to Trinidad for the first time with my dad. And I was like, it's inside, outside. It's outside, inside. And yeah. he was like, yep. Yeah. And I loved that. Mm. And I'm fascinated by that mm. lack of, like the global North just, creates such and Western culture just creates such insane like categories categories and like rigid demarcations between outside and inside and I'm just like that's not true we are part of the environment just as much as the environment is part of us yeah I mean I understand you want to keep the cold out but also like 
I'm, we're sitting here watching the river and it's right there. Yeah. So like, that's just something I, I feel like I've been thinking about since I was like five years old. And when I went to Asa Wright, it's a nature center and they do bird walks, talks, hikes. Uh, you can also stay there. Uh, they do like research there. And as you enter the veranda, there's just like 20, 30 different bird species, like right in front of your face. And they're all like within touching distance. Some of them will eat out of your hand because really? they're just yeah. accustomed to people feeding them. Yeah. Hummingbirds are terrifying. Uh, they are cute and they are aggressive. They really, they fight each other for the night. They literally will like <laughs> go after each other, like stabbing them with their stabbing each other with their pointy beaks, like trying to get at the nectar. But what was amazing to me was the colors mm. because there's this bird that I saw. It was like, 10 inches from my face. It was yeah. crazy. It's called the violaceous euphonia. Okay. It's only about maybe three inches at, in length yeah. at most, but it is, it looks like a jewel. It looks like a mashup between an amethyst and a topaz. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, that's the male and the females are this bright peridot green. Mm. And you know how female birds are usually duller than the male. They're not dull. They're so bright. And then there were green, Honey creepers, red legged honey creepers, pur purple honey creepers, and they were the most impossible colors. Yeah. Uh, the turquoise jade vine, which came from the Philippines, which is this insane plasticky looking turquoise color. It looks unreal. It, it looks unreal. The, the green honey creeper is almost that exact same color, mm. except it's a bird. And that's when I understood like none of these colors are out of context. Yeah. It's all within a geographical context. None yeah. of these colors are fake because yeah. here is evidence right in front of my very eyes that there are animals and plants that are these shocking electric jeweled colors that exist within their reality and they're not seen as flamboyant. Yeah. And they're not like I hate fucking hate the word exotic. They're not exotic. They're living within this context. Yeah. And they blend into their surroundings, but they also stand out yeah. in the f serving the functions that they needed to. And, you know, when I came back to- yeah, This is how, is a sophomore year. Sophomore year. Yeah. So then when I came back, I just was like, I started painting in color. That's so, that's like, so fascinating. Yeah. I just started painting in color and I didn't really understand, I didn't have a great understanding of color then, but like there were certain things that I hit on. Like I painted the purple honey creeper in a- I did a dual, I did a self-portrait with myself and my namesake mm -hmm. and the purple honey creeper is like in the up, top left corner. And people were like, that's not a real bird. I was like, it is. Here's a picture I took of it. <laughs> like it's this crazy purple color. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I didn't revisit that for a while. And then junior year, I started making these collages. Yeah. And then a critique I constantly received was those colors are unnatural. That's so funny. I know. Such a weird, I think that's like the weirdest comment to say for painting I know like, I'm just like it's crazy but do you want to you just you want to just like pick any Picasso do you want to pick <laughs> like, literally any Gauguin yeah or or Cezanne or any any of these any, any of these old white men like the Fauves I yeah. I feel like a cultural descendant of the Fauves even yeah. though like I want to destroy what they built and remake it in my image yeah <laughs> like you know just you know just you know self Matisse all those all those people I Love Matisse's work. And yeah. I remember when I was very young, my dad would take me to the Met and the paintings I was always drawn to were Gauguin's paintings mm -hmm. um, because he was painting people that look like me. Like I was like, oh, that looks like my mom. That looks like me. That looks like my aunt. That looks, yeah. you know, uh, it wasn't until college many years later learned the dark history of that it. I learned <laughs> that I learned and was ultimately deeply betrayed yeah. by Gauguin. Yeah. So something like I was like, 
if I had to like do a snarky autobiography or yeah. like, you know, what do I do as an artist? Like yeah. I want to do to my viewers what Gauguin did to me, <laughs> like that intense seduction and deep betrayal mm. at the same time. Cause it was, he's, you know, he was. That's a good artist statement. Yeah. I want to do to what Gauguin did to me. At, what I want name? to do to others what Gauguin yes. did to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and I just, cause his colors were intensely beautiful, but he was also creating this exotic taxonomy of an entire group of people. Yeah. Hypersexualizing them in a way that, you know, these people became objects to him. And I was like, how do I create this beautiful narrative mm. of what I know as a response to that, yeah. as a way of like being one of those people, being one of those bodies that came from like, like a Pacific Islander, but like speaking to my own understanding of that nature. Yeah. You know, my own experience of these things, my own colors, you know, authoring it in my own words in a way that's like of the lineage of Gauguin and Matisse yeah. and even Picasso, but in a way that subverts or responds to what they were doing and saying, no, that isn't yours. Yeah. It's mine. Yeah. But yeah, I still love Gauguin. I also hate him. Yeah. You know. It's hard. Yeah. It's, Fuck, marry, just... kill. Yeah. Kill. Yeah. Kill Gauguin. Do you ever play do you ever play that game in the in a in a gallery? Oh man, no, but I didn't Well, I mean the version I have is not Fuck Mary Kill, but what is it? It's uh buy, sell, destroy. Buy, sell, destroy. Oh, which one would you buy? Which one would you sell? Which one would you destroy? Oh, that's painful. Oh, that's that's rough. Um Yeah, yeah. It's fun it's a fun game to play if you're like in like one space and then you're like you see like twenty different mm -hmm. artworks. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it's good if you had a, a variety of artists because yeah, I feel yeah. like it's hard with one artist. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we kind of did a, well, I had a fuck, Mary kill. I had a fuck, Mary kill assignment, like my sophomore year of painting where it was just kind of like, kill your darlings, basically. Uh -huh. It's like, what artist do you love? Yeah. Take that artist and kill them. And I was just like, okay, Gauguin. Yeah. Let's dance. <laughs> yeah. Or Matisse, let's yeah. dance. I still think about, I still love Matisse. Yeah. His I love, colors are great. Yeah. I love how he takes space and he's just like, nope, I reject that. It's all flat now. Yeah. And that's how I kind of arrived at collage. I was just like, flat. Everything is flat. I, at that point, I hadn't seen the cutouts. I was just looking at his paintings, but yeah. I was just, there's this one painting by him. I always forget the title, but it's like, it's a painting of goldfish. Yes. But it's not the daytime. It's not the daytime goldfish. It's a night study of the goldfish. Okay. And it's set, like, there's a balcony and a doorway and a table. And the line and the shadow of the balcony, of the doorway becomes the line of the table, mm. the surface of the table, the leg of the table, mm. and the shadow of the table. Is there is there a person there or no? No. Okay. It's the, just the goldfish. And yeah. the goldfish are literally just these orange, like, oblong shapes. Yeah, triangles that's, or something. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And that painting, when I saw it at, like, 16, blew my mind. I was yeah. just like, holy shit, it's all the same thing. Yeah. Like, the door, the shadow, the table. That's all one plane. Yeah. It's just yeah. like, that's it. And I was like, yeah, that's that's where I'm going. Yeah. So, yeah, Matisse, Gauguin, like the Fauves, like nature, crazy color, like impossible color. I was yeah. just like, look, they can do, if they can do it and get away with it, I can do it and get away uh, with it. Fuck you and your yeah. unnatural color. You clearly have never left New England. And it, this literally was a guy who had never left New England. Yeah. And I was like, you literally left New yeah. England. It's gray here I know. all the time. Well, it's also s stupid too, because like, the also the new when I think of New England painters, I think of Maine, yeah, which has tons of colors, yeah, and all yeah. those painters specifically go to Maine because 
I don't know what they do in the winter, but like they specifically in, go in there for, for the fall, summer and spring of yeah. like, there's a certain light there that's beautiful and you're by the ocean. And mm-hmm. um, also yeah. something about the, the, the leaves here of the deciduous trees in North America uh-huh. are particularly vibrant yeah. in New England. It's not yeah, like that. It's famous. People come here it's, for the yeah, fall. It's famous. It's not like that in other parts of the world. Yeah. So I was just like, how do you think these colors are unnatural? Yeah. Your trees do crazy stuff in, yeah. in September. Like, come on, y'all. But again, like, I think it has to do with like the perpetual othering yeah. of like what people think black art should look like. Yeah. You know, or what people like think. Also, the fiction of the Caribbean, like what people think that space looks like. You know, you'll go to Jamaica and see ads of like the beach and some bad cover of Bob Marley's One Love is playing. Yeah. Even though One Love is really not a happy song. It's not. Yeah. And there's just a lack of understanding of what that region is. And also that region is not monolithic. Well, no region is. No region is monolithic. <laughs> yeah. Um, Except when they are. <laughs> yeah. Except yeah. when they are. Yeah. Like, I feel like America sometimes does that. Like, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like... We're kind of monolithic when it comes to our sports. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, also humans suck at like not thinking in categories. Oh God! Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's built into our evolutionary system, right? Mm-hmm. Like from a from like an animalistic perspective, like you need to categorize things in order to figure out is this a fight or flight moments immediately, right? And so, like, mm-hmm. you see a certain kind of animal object or like tribe or person like it's like what do you do yeah what do you do like how can i i need my my intuition needs to categorize this thing and figure out like what should i do in this very moment yeah, and i have a second yeah. before like either i die or i put my hands in the face of someone who i don't know mm-hmm. you know and but there's still so many examples though of ancient humans like like neanderthal they found neanderthal skeletons that like you know this person had clearly lived a really hard life. He had like paralysis. They deter- scientists determined that he had paralysis in parts of his body. Like some of his limbs were deformed. He had broken his leg in several places, yeah. but he had lived until he was well into his forties, which is a very long time yeah. for, you know, prehistory. So clearly there's an element of like engagement and, yeah. and interaction. And I mean, Neanderthal genes are still found yeah. in our DNA. So there is, you know, people, ha- human beings have the capacity to see things with nuance. Of course, yeah. You know. It's just harder. It's harder, but it's it's possible. So yeah. it's just kind of like, there is that world. That world does exist. Yeah. And I think also, like, I think in the world that we're currently living in, those things have less importance, mm. I feel like. Because, I mean, the, this whole fight or flight doesn't, in, I mean, some parts of the world, yes, like, that are still in civil wars. Mm. But, like, at least the issues that we're talking about in terms of, like, I feel like, it stems from this sort of old way of thinking. Thinking, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I feel like so much of my work is just like, how do I respond to this? How do I create from this, but also away from this? Yeah. It's why it's, I think about my work in the same way that, you know, speculative fiction and science fiction thinks about the world and especially like, you know, black and other artists of color, like other authors of color, like N.K. Jemisin or Ken Liu. They're mm-hmm. like, how do we reimagine a different world? Yeah. Um, and by imagining that world created. Yeah. That's what I love about, that's what I love about Octavia Butler. Yeah. It's like, you know, there is a better world out there. How do we understand this? Like I finished reading Lilith's Brood relatively recently. And she's like, you know, how do we envision a society that is hybrid in all of its ways? Yeah. You know, interspecies, like interracial, like intergenerational, intercultural. Yeah. 
And like, how does that lead to that sense of like progression and expanse and hybridization? I feel like I think about science so much with my work, whether it's like things like, you know, plant hybridization or um, seed transfer from various countries to the evolution and taxonomy of various animals to geologic time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, how the state of nature is change, constant change. Yeah, we're fucking up really badly. Oh, God, we suck. We suck. (laughs) I feel like this conversation is so meandering. (laughs) That's how my podcast is. That's true. It's like, how do you talk about art? We just talk about life, guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think, yeah. I mean, the meanderness is part of the the point. I feel like because we're, I you know, I describe this podcast as trying to find the language for things that people have trouble talking about or don't have the language for, or you know, also like having both me and the guests figure out what is that language and yeah, um, yeah. So I allow that for me, like, because there's there's enough like. Terry Grosses out in the world who have like <laughs> have this very structured yeah, yeah. form of interviewing style. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that just my desire is like always like how do I organize this sort of like narrative? I mean you've been organizing it really well because you went from your family to like the fruits. We were talking about food and then you it transitioned yeah. seamlessly into the things that you're interested in. I'm an extremely disorganized person who loves organized narratives. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just like, oh, God, I always have to resist this push and pull between ordering nature. Yeah. Because, you know, that's essentially what artists and designers do. Like, I feel like a lot of my practice pulls from design a lot, too. Yeah. Like, William, I look at William Morris's wallpapers all uh-huh. the time. And this concept in, you know, traditional textiles printing, because I also work with textiles, is just like this sense of repeat, of pattern, of structure, yeah. of, of organization. Like William Morris has these beautiful, beautiful prints. One of my favorites of his is, I think it's like reeds or willows. And it looks very organic and free-flowing, but... As someone who knows how to make repeat wallpapers and repeat design and repeat like continuous repeats for for fabric, yeah, I know that that was meticulously planned, yeah, to fool the eye, and it's it's funny that like we have all of these beautiful wallpapers, still lives, you know, color studies, you know, you know, clothes with beautiful floral prints on them, and it's just another way of ordering nature. It's like another level of taxonomy. Yeah, and it's just like okay, so how do we work with this like completely fake constructed nature, like yeah. huge air quotes around nature, while also claiming that we're working for the natural environment? Yeah, like it's that's something. It's like there's an artifice to it that like I want to like play with you yeah. know like i can't say this is purely organic because i'm still making the decisions uh oh this is the heliconia flower it's gonna go here or yeah. this is the delonyx regia flower it's gonna go there and like here's there has to be a certain sense of rhythm or pattern yeah. or texture that's going to be pleasing to the eye yeah so it's like indoor outdoor like using these outdoor things in like indoor elements or like the architecture of these things that are rigidly planned out while yeah. still like creating immersion it's just such a crazy yeah there's an organization there that i find like mind-blowing like human beings are obsessive creatures and we must like it's yeah like, we must do this we must organize we yeah. must find order. we must organize yeah um 
Yeah. So what do you, do you want to talk about what you're working on here? How we briefly mentioned how like you have more space here. I'm just, what exactly have you done differently? Oh yeah. And, so, um, and what do you think about this residency? This is your first residency. So yeah, this is my first residency. And when I came here, I came a little bit early cause I had to like take the train up here and there's a hole. So, so you I, like arrived the, the fourth? This, yeah. The fourth, I arrived the fourth and I did like my brief tour while I was like very tired, but like I wanted to see get my bearings of yeah. what's going on. And I saw my studio space and it's in Wolfcon, the barn. No, not the barn, the the gym. Yeah. Which is the front side. And I walked in there and I was just like, holy shit, this studio is so huge. Like I've never had a studio this big. Yeah. The ceilings are super tall and there's so much natural light. And yeah. it's just like it's almost like there's acres of space to work. Yeah. And I had really missed working large because I was able to like my favorite thing to do is like work at the scale of my body or larger. Cause then like you can get, it's easier to get details at that scale. Like when you're painstakingly sitting like a foot away from your painting, that's like the size of your hand. You're just like working almost like with a micro, with like a a micro microscope and just like single hair on the brush, like making, painting a miniature. And I came in there and I saw the ceilings and I was like, that's it. I, I need to make something tall. That was the first thought. I was like, I have to make something tall. Mm. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be tall. And of course, the thing that I did the next day was I stretched like two like traditionally sized like painting paintings. <laughs> and I was just like, God damn it. <laughs> With, Cause I was like still operating in the form that I'm used to. Like, yeah, yeah. like in my studio I, at home, I have an easel and like a table and uh, I usually work 18 by 24, 20 by 36, yeah. like, you know, standard painting sizes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it, it's not like on tr- canvas, it's on dyed fabric that I've hand dyed and hand printed. Real, in home, that's what yeah. you normally do, okay. Yeah, because like I'll go and I'll print fabrics yeah. and I'll dye fabrics. Because you, you can dye fabrics in really small batches. Yeah, yeah. And then I'll just stretch that instead of stretching canvas and then I'll paint on that or I'll collage on that or whatever. And un, not unsurprisingly, those it's been, our time, my time here at the Vermont Studio Center is almost over. And unsurprisingly, those two tra- more traditional canvases, like, I've barely touched like one is like in very early stages of like detail work. And then the second one, nothing's even attached to it. It's just like fabric draped over it to see what the color looks like. That's it. Uh, But I am working on this enormous blue painting thing on Mylar. And it's, I don't know exactly how long it is. There are three panels right now that are going to eventually be one long continuous piece. Uh, each panel is about eight feet tall wow. by two or three feet wide. Mm-hmm. And those pieces have been painted onto, cut into, collaged onto, sprayed onto, because uh, I, I can't print onto it like at that scale. But I'm thinking, I did a lot of printed yardage my senior year of at RISD and it's kind of at the scale of those printed yardage works. Like, because yeah. when you're working by the yard, like you have a gigantic silk screen and then you're just, you know, going down the yards. Each yard, there's a new, there's like every other yard, you'll print the design, wait for that to dry. Then every other yard, you'll finish printing it. And then when you're finished printing it, it looks like one long yeah. continuous thing. But I grew to really love that, that format, that size, because it would be like three and a half, four feet across by like, however many yards, like I have pieces that are like six, seven, eight yards yeah. long and 
it's great. And I, I really love that because it's it you can become immersive in a way that's also portable because you can just roll it up or fold it up when you're done. Yeah. So the Mylar, it's durable. It's really durable plastic. It can take a lot of working into. Are you painting with acrylic? I'm using acrylic. Okay. I'm also using I'm also using dye. Uh, since um, acrylic is good because when you roll it up in the mylar, it won't crack. It won't crack. Yeah. Nope. Um, the, some of the dye might flake off because yeah. it's not porous yeah. like fabric is, but the, I think the dye is still very, very important to my process as a painter because yeah. incorporating very traditional crafts, people have been making textiles in more or less the same way for thousands of years. And that's very important to me is like that craft, that labor, the history of that method of working is still embedded even within like the materials that I'm using. Yeah. I also just like that dye you can use solid and liquid. So if it's in a powder, like, right. you know, as long as you're suspending it in something. Yeah. Uh, it also will affect the color in acrylic in ways that I can't get acrylic to do on its own. So yeah, it's mostly acrylic and dye and then uh, spray paint. And each of these objects are like, I, I've painted, like I'll paint, I'll start them by, I started them by like painting them on the wall. Yeah. And then I realized this is not getting, cause I was thinking about the rainforest at night. A lot of my paintings are sort of time of day studies as well as landscapes, like abstracted landscape studies of like, that are abstracted landscapes of like the tropics essentially of the Caribbean, of yeah. Jamaica, of the Philippines, mostly Jamaica. And uh, I remember in one really interesting critique, someone had mentioned to me that all of my paintings and textiles seem to exist in the middle of the day. Yeah, yours, yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah. yeah, it was like the earliest I had gone was like early in the morning to midday. And maybe the latest I had gone would be like two or three in the afternoon. Yeah. So I was thinking, okay, I'm missing an entire part of the clock. I'm just missing late afternoon, evening, dusk, night. So I thought night flowers, rain, darkness, and... Jennifer Packer actually said, you know, night painting night or understanding night isn't just about color. It's also about how legible are the things that you're seeing, like yeah. what's obscured, yeah. what's visible, yeah. what's lurking, you know, sort of in those shadows. And then, you know, I came upon this blue because here in Vermont, like the snow is like white, but it's also not white. There's this quality of light, like at around like four or five p.m. as the sun is going down, and like we don't even know the sun is going down. Yeah. It just goes, <laughs> it just goes from like gray to like black. Yeah, yeah. But there's a period where everything is blue. Yeah. And the snow is blue. The sky is blue. The trees are blue. The ground is blue. The river is mostly brown, but also kind of blue. Yeah. And that blue is just like it was a sort of haunting color. Yeah. And I was thinking, okay, this is what evening is like here. I'm sure there is a blue evening in the in the tropics somewhere. Yeah. It's a different color, but it, I feel like that blue is very much influenced by like I'm just looking out my window and I'm like yeah. it's blue. I've taken like several pictures just me inside looking out the window and it's just like that strange dusky purpley periwinkle strange cold blue. Yeah. And then I just bought a bunch of paint, bought a bunch of dye and I just started painting, pouring. Um well you just said about Painting night is more also about what is visible and what is not seen. Yeah. The first thing that I immediately thought of, especially with like a blue forest was, um, did you, have you seen like Chris Ophelia's yes, Twilight, yes, Twilight yes, paintings yes, or yes. night paintings? I saw that show and I still, I think about that show a lot. I mean, I think of the background of my phone is like a print. One of those? Is a print uh, that he made from that series. Is that, the, is that the one where he painted with silver? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
it's the RISD Museum has a couple of a couple of editions oh, of really? that series. Yeah. And they're like etchings or something. And there's they're like this impossible like kind of like the paintings, they shift in color as you move around it. So sometimes it's blue. Sometimes it's purple. Yeah. Sometimes it's black. And it's shown in a dark light too, which is also also unexpected. Yeah. And I loved that that sense of like obfuscation. Yeah. Of like there is no way to easily read this. You have to move. And there's a sort of wariness around those paintings because they're so they're displayed in a totally unconventional sense. But when I saw those paintings, I kind of lost my mind really <laughs> i like lost my mind a little bit i was just like holy shit i was like what am i looking at yeah what is happening that was a great show that was I, such a great show. all of it was i think also like i've never seen all of his paintings together yeah i've only seen like one at a time it was like mm-hmm. really beautiful to see like together yeah i was just yeah i was just i was just yeah really impressed yeah his sense of immersion was like i want that like the top floor of the new museum when he did it. did you see it at the new museum yeah yeah, yeah. so the top floor how he painted the walls and then put the paintings mm-hmm. up. That's ideally how I would want all my stuff installed. I don't ever want to install in relation to a, in white, a white wall. In a white like wall. You. I don't like the white wall. Yeah. Like, I mean, the French were problematic, but they gave us the salon style. I love salon style hangings. Yeah. Because it's just like, let's just throw everything on the wall and you're just going to have to figure it out from there. You know, I love like, I was at the Whitney and I don't remember what show it was, but one of the galleries was painted like, it was a contemporary artist. She did sculpture as well as painting. And one of the galleries was painted this very, very, very pale pink. Mm-hmm. It looked white when you were outside of the wind when you were outside of the gallery. But mm-hmm. then once you step inside the gallery, you're like, oh, those walls are pink. Especially when you look at the sculpture that was in yeah. there. It's like it doesn't pick up on the camera. Mm. It looks like it's white. But yeah. then you work in there and you're like, that's total color does crazy psychological shifts to you. And that's what yeah. I love about color, is yeah. that it can make you it can make you kind of crazy in like the best possible way. Like chromophobia is just the worst thing in the universe. <laughs> David Batchelor, like David Batchelor, thank you for writing that book. Did you read his follow-up? No, uh, I didn't. Was it? No. It, it, he kind of muses on the color gray. Oh, oh, the luminous and the gray. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's on, that's next, but I'm, I'm working my way through chromophobia right now and like obsessively highlighting like pretty much everything. <laughs> it's a good book. It's such a good, it's a good book. book. Yeah. I think uh, I've read it three times. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. I was just like yelling to my, like, in, I'm like, people really think I'm crazy when I'm reading this in the subway. Cause really? I'll just be like <laughs> literally shaking the book and being like, yes. <laughs> Cause it's like, I was like, you understand, yeah. you understand. Um, but also, yeah, I don't ever want to install in, in relation to a white wall or like a mostly white space yeah. because first of all, I, I've already grown up going to predominantly white institutions, like going to Catholic school, being surrounded by like. Are your parents Catholic? What, no, oh, I just you go to Catholic school. I, I I was a very, um, let's just say that I was a bit of a troubled child, okay. and I needed a sort of contained environment. Okay. You know, and public school was just incredibly overwhelming. Yeah. For me, and like it just so happened that. So this, you had an outfit and. Yeah. Yeah. Short skirt or short lengths and like hair lengths. Yeah. It just was like, it just so happened that this particular Catholic school was like the right environment for me. Uh Like we're not Catholic. I'm not even religious. Yeah. But that school, like that high school that I went to was like really good. Like some of the art teachers I had there were some of the best teachers I've ever had. And Catholicism is, you know, problematic, but you know what? Some of the nuns that I had met there are some of the most incredible people. Yeah. I mean, they're incredible women. 
and I learned so much from them. So, you know, goodbye religious institution, but like it was the right place for me. Yeah. I wouldn't have been able to handle the public school, my local public school. I was just, I was going through a lot as a kid, just too much shit. But yeah, so it was sort of like, but the downside of that was it was a super white space. It was so white. I feel like at my table, I sat with like all the girls of color in my grade. Yeah. Like all twelve hasn't changed. All, all it hasn't 12. changed no. coming. <laughs> no, it hasn't. It hasn't changed coming. Self segregation. Self segregation. Self segregation all the way, all the way. We're all- we're referencing the fact that someone complained that all of the POCs here are self segregating and complained to the staff, and we don't know who it is. I, I want to know. I'm just gonna be like, look. I know. Look, that's your problem. That ain't ours. I know. Y'all are self segregating. Why mm. don't you come sit with us? We don't bite hard. Well, it's hard when it's hard to uh, approach you when like you think we all have the same name. Oh shit! Right? Yeah, I know. Oh my god! I was like, look, none of us even look like each other. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> that that shocked me. I was like, I understand if you look kind of like each other, but also literally none of us look alike. Yeah, none yeah. of us look yeah. alike. But I was just like, y'all are just dumb. I know. <laughs> Whatever. Look, I'm here for the self segregation. If it works for us, it works for us. They can join us if they like. Shout out to Gregory, who's like yeah. not a self-segregationist. Yeah. yeah. He's just here for the And vibes. Anna. And Anna. Shout yeah. out to them for the, and, and Julie. Julie. They're just Julie, here for, Anna, and Greg. And Julie, Anna, and Greg. They're here for the vibes. They're here with yeah. it. Um, yeah. But it was it was like that in high school. It was like that in college. We'd mm-hmm. all find each other and we'd get shit. Yeah. You know, like why are y'all like why do you only sit with the black people? I was yeah. like, why do you only sit with the white people? Why do you only sit with the Korean people? Yeah. Like there's a table full of like Koreans over there. Why are they not sitting with it? You're not complaining about them, are they? Are you? Hmm. Hmm. But yeah, it was it was very much like that. So it's just kind of like here, Vermont Studio Center. It is still like I don't know why I'm surprised. It's a predominantly white institution, but I shouldn't be surprised. But I was because I was like, you guys accept like anywhere from like fifty to seventy five residents every month. How come it's still so white? That was, that was, that, I was very surprised when I came here. I was like, but this place still offers fellowships and grants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the other hand of it. Like, it can be done. You can, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, it totally can be done. It just makes it hard when it costs $6,000. And if you don't get it, then. Oh, yeah, I know. Jesus Christ. Like, yeah. But look, they have grants and they have fellowships yeah. specifically for artists of color. Clearly, they could make more use of it. Yeah. Um, you know, but oh, well, it's like the, it's like it's like everything. Like you need change, especially for I feel like in terms of diversity, it needs to come from the top up and, and also the bottom and, up and bottom up, right? So you need the people in charge wanting it, but you also need the staff to be part of it. You need the jurors to be part of it. It's, yeah. it's the whole system. But if it's just sort of like and if the staff and the jurors are also predominantly white and yeah. the board is predominantly white, yeah, ugh, the results are no that not yeah it doesn't really do much. I yeah, think. the results. The current results are not surprising. Yeah. It's just frustrating because people don't think outside that way. I feel like every time I'm talking about this shit, like it's obvious to you and me. Yeah. But then, you know, when trying to tell it to like people who have any sort of power, they're, they'll nod and smile and be like, yeah, you're right. We appreciate your feedback and do nothing. Yeah. It's like screaming into like a wool box. I know. The sound doesn't travel anywhere. <laughs> Uh, I kind of want one of those, <laughs> just, just from my just yelling into yeah. the box. Um, but it's just, it can be done. It yeah. has been done. I've seen it done. 
takes a lot of effort. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I think, I really think like the things we're seeing with Trump is like people really afraid of change. People are intensely reactive. Yeah. And it's like a complete 180 from like, we go from, not that Obama was like a saint, but you know, we go from this period of like, uh, this sort of very accepting period of like liberal politics yeah. and like uh, a more diverse welcoming environment. And then suddenly like it's blood and soil. Yeah. You know, but it just, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Do you want to talk more about your work? We could talk about your bone collection. My bone collection. Yeah. I have a crazy. I, mean, I liked, I liked what you wrote on your, on your website. You wrote like, I don't know, what'd you write? <laughs> You're an avid collector of animal bones and you're probably best friends with the skeletons in your closet. <laughs> yeah, I am an avid fan of horror movies. And really? Yes. Oh. Wait, this is not, I didn't, you don't know this? No. Oh my God, I feel like the first conversations I had with people was just me asking people whether or not they liked horror movies. Did you see Us with us? Were you? The, no, uh, no, I was working. Oh, okay. I was working. Um, yeah, because I was early on and I felt like I had to be productive. Okay. <laughs> We'll see. Yeah. Um, us is cool. Us is cool. It's, it's, I don't, I don't find the idea of a doppelganger as scary as say other sorts of yeah, horror. horror movie yeah. trope, tropes, but I did appreciate that movie. Lupita Nyong'o had an amazing performance yeah. in that movie. That was also, it was very funny. I thought it was a weak movie to follow up following uh, follow, Get Out. Yeah, Get Out. Yeah. But I also, I mean, it's a sophomore film. Like your first one, you're like, you have something to say. Yeah. The second one is like, okay. It also felt rushed. Like yeah. it came out like two years after, and I was like, I was like, that's a short yeah. turnaround. Short to turnaround. Like, he could have waited a little longer. Yeah, I think. Oh, well, yeah. I'm I'm excited to see what the third one is after. Like you know, Give it takes a while. Like you know, it's a skill learning yeah. how to like direct, write a script. Yeah, I want to see what he comes up with when he marinates. Yeah. For a little bit, you know, because I want more black people writing horror movies because I feel yeah. like you can get to this intense psychological place that, first of all, I just want more black people doing everything. Yeah. First of all. Did I tell you what Diddy told me about the black horror? What? Oh, so like Diddy Williams, he's a, um amazing painter. He came to do studio visits at uh, Vermont Studios, but... He was telling me because I was showing him my uh, the piece I'm currently working on, right, with with mm -hmm. uh, the Halloween mask, and he was talking about he had a colleague who taught a class on black horror. That's amazing. And it's bookended. I think this is the most amazing. It's bookended. It starts off with Birth of a Nation as the first oh, black horror, shit. and then ends with Jordan Peele's Get Out. Yes. Wait. I need and, I, this. and I was like, that sounds. Uh, amazing. And I was like, can you send me the syllabus? He said he would. I emailed him. He hasn't replied. He's probably really busy. But yeah, I was I was really curious what is in between Birth of a Nation. Blackula. <laughs> and, and Get Out. Blackula, Invasion of Body Snatchers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a bunch of stuff. I want to take this class. Yeah. The reason I got into horror movies was I thought initially that I didn't like horror movies. It turns out I don't like certain horror movies, certain subgenres of horror movies. Like I can't can't watch torture porn, can't mm. watch slashers, can't yeah. watch hillbilly horror with some exceptions. Yeah. But then like horror is this horror like science fiction and other genre fiction is a way of accessing the cultural subconscious. Yeah. Of accessing like the cultural anxieties at the given time, but also like is such a great way to talk about issues of like race, gender, culture, the other, like all of these nerdy things that I am personally super, super obsessed with. And I started this class and I was just like, yes, this is amazing. 
interestingly though, the Bone Collection started before my obsession with horror movies, mm-hmm. mostly just because I, when I was a child, I wasn't really allowed to watch cartoons. I was only really allowed to watch PBS and the Discovery Channel. It's probably better. Animal Planet. I still watch cartoons, but it was pretty limited. Yeah, yeah. Like I didn't get to watch until more towards middle school. So I grew up loving animals, obs- like obsessed with animals. Yeah. So when I went to RISD, they have this place called the Nature Lab, uh-huh. which is basically a library full of dead things and also live things. They have an incredible collection of taxidermy, animal bones, articulated skeletons. They have ax- they have live axolotls. They have a live snake named Neetop, and he is wonderful. <laughs> He's a leucistic corn snake. He's very friendly. And if he gets caught up in your belt loops, you'll have to cut off your belt loops because you can't go backwards. Yeah, he gets he likes uh, to, he likes to go into pockets. It's okay. it's kind of hilarious. Um, so there's like pigeons and stuff in there. There's yeah, like yeah. lizards and bugs and shit. But they have this amazing collection of taxidermy, and I was like, wow, I want to learn how to do taxidermy. And then I I started collecting bones, and then I found these like different jewelry jewelry makers who make jewelry out of animal bones and I was just amazed. So Tanya has a lot of jewelry with bones on them. Do you make them yourself? Or? No, no, no. Oh. I have um, friends that make them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or I'll, or I'll like, if I find some stuff, I'll send it to them. And do they ever enter your work, your artwork or not yet? No, I think this is just more for like, this is me personally. Like okay. this is almost more the art expressing itself through my body because mm. of, I love nature and reference yeah. nature. So currently I'm wearing these earrings, they are coyote metatarsals. Those are the foot, the foot bones. Mm. And then I have a Victorian revival beetle ring. It looks like a scarab beetle. It's not a scarab beetle. It's smaller. Is the beetle embedded in that? Yeah. Okay. It's the stone. Mm. But yeah, I don't go anywhere without this one. It feels mm. weird when I take it off, actually. But yeah, I have all sorts of. I have a bobcat jaw. I have uh, a mink jaw. I have a crow skull. I have human femur earrings. Where did you get that? Same jeweler. Okay. Yeah. They're slices. I love freaking people out. They're like, what are those? I'm like, human bones. What? <laughs> They're like, did you? I'm like, <laughs> one time I got a really great question. Like, uh, who died to make those for you? I was like, you know, I'm not telling. <laughs> I like being a little unsettling. Yeah. It's always fun. But, yeah. you know, it's the, it's the goth in me. But yes, bones, animal bones. Come find me. I have a really great collection. And if anybody sees any really well-preserved roadkill... Let me know. I'm, I I would love to have a deer skull. <laughs> it wouldn't be too hard up here. No, it wouldn't. There's probably plenty of them yeah. up here, though. I haven't seen any deer, surprisingly. I haven't seen any larger animals. Well, you know, they hide. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want, they don't, they, they're, you know, they're being shot at by humans. So. This is true. I heard, <laughs> I heard there's a bunch up at the college. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd love to learn how to hunt. That would be so cool. Self-sufficiency, y'all. With a gun or a bow? Oh, with a gun. Okay. Well, with a boat, I know how to use a bow and arrow, but like, I'm not great at it. But yeah. also if you're hunting, this is the only context I would ever want to use a gun is for hunting. Yeah. That's it. Cause it makes, like, it doesn't make sense to hunt with a bow and arrow. Hey, I don't know. Not in this day and age. Also, I'm just not that good at it. So, yeah. you know, gun, but well, you know, I, I'll probably just split the difference and learn how to fish. I want to fly, learn how to fly fish. Oh yeah. That's, that's what I want to cool. do. I just want to learn how to fish in general because I think it's really cool. Yeah. Like there's lots of trout up here and I'm like, fishing! Yeah, yeah. 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 Because, yeah. Uh, you want to do any plugs? Plugs. Uh, social media plugs or any upcoming news or? Yeah. So social media, you can find me at Sonia J. That is S-O-N-J-A, two underscores, J-A-Y. Yeah. Uh, 
You can find me on my website at sonjajohn.com, S-O-N-J-A-J-O-H-N.com. That's that's about it. I don't do Twitter. Twitter stresses me the fuck out. <laughs> Twitter really stresses me out. And, and Facebook is creepy. Yeah. Are you not on Facebook? <laughs> I'm on Facebook, but like begrudgingly. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I use it. I used it a lot when I was in Germany because that's where all the, um, all the shows were being yeah, advertised on Facebook. And I, when I went to, when I, now I'm in China and when I went there, I was like thinking like maybe I'll deactivate it, but then I still use it a lot to promote my podcast. So yeah. I don't, yeah. So, but I was like, while I was in China, I, was, I seriously thought of like, I would just discontinue it for two years. I mean, like it's banned. I don't really use it that much. Um, yeah. But yeah. Maybe maybe I'll create like a fake account just so I can log on to the the same yeah. color pot and then discontinue. I don't know, but yeah, yeah. But yeah, mostly catch me on Instagram. That's generally where you can find yeah most of most of my stuff, nerdy things, strange things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you ever do like recommendations for like books or stuff? You, yeah, you can. To- I don't normally, but you can totally do it. Um, so I feel I feel like sometimes people get. Uh, stressed out by it, so I, I I don't do that. Oh, you know when I'm like, do you have any recommendations? And sometimes I'd be like, uh, and then like I haven't been reading the past six months, or like, or yeah. So, but you, you I'm totally down. Uh, so. yeah. So definitely in on the train of like incredible science fiction. If you haven't read Octavia Butler, immediately go and read all of her body of work now. If you have any preferences? My favorite book by Octavia Butler is Fledglings. Uh-huh. All you have to know about it is uh, queer, black, polyamorous vampires. That's it. That's all you got to know. Go read it. <laughs> that's it? That's uh, Well, I mean, if I continue, I'm going to give you an entire like book club reading okay. list. That's going to be a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, yeah. I mean, you can do whatever you do, but yeah. we can end on the read Fledgling by Octavia Butler. And thank you so much for talking thank with you. me. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. Yeah? yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'll have to listen to like all your other Yeah. No 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 pressure. Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Z1 Chung. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website www.seeingcolorpod.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Seeing Color Pod. If you enjoy this show and have the time, I'd appreciate if you could go to Apple Podcast or wherever you listen and give Seeing Color a five-star review. This really helps others discover the show and gives greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, Thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.